0: Welcome to Philly Coco presents Psy Project Spotlight, episode 41. This is a developer's journey to making cool stuff. I'm Kotaro. I'm Steve. And I'm Aaron. And we are Philly Cocoa, a Philadelphia-based heads community focused on Apple development that primarily, but not exclusively, means iOS, Mac, tvOS, and watchOS development. Philly Coco's true desire is to take you higher on your own developer journey.
1: Whew. all right 41 Ooh, made it through that one yeah right <laughs> um, yeah you were
0: you were you're saying you thought we were farther along i thought we were it was kind of funny because i don't know if we actually celebrate the fact that like last episode was episode 40 i mean <laughs> that's... Is, it, is that because it's like a midlife crisis uh episode or something <laughs> i guess i mean it was about it going indie <laughs> and i don't know if we did a we did that whole topic justice but um i think uh yeah, I, 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 we, I don't know if we even made a point about it to to much degree, or we celebrate it.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was it was pretty good. I thought it had some interesting stuff in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No I, one yelled at us. Oh uh, well, I I, I, that's true. true. No one yelled at us yet. <laughs> <laughs> keep I keep thinking like at some point, like somewhere down the line, somebody's just gonna like tweet and like have like a little clip of this this one thing we said, but it's like all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah that's life it, I mean... <laughs> it. indeed
2: we'll be rich and famous by then oh yeah that's actually we don't true have to worry about all
0: right it. that's right we, we can afford studio displays finally this is the dream right this is how this is why we even
1: when we can afford studio displays is when we are rich and famous i like that that line of thought
0: yes well it's attainable yes or <laughs> if if we can ever afford the mythical you know, three thousand dollar AR glasses or mixed reality glasses that's rumored oh, to man. come out in June. Uh, you th- I guess.
1: Yeah. Th- are you gonna buy one?
0: No. When it comes <laughs> out, like I mean, I mean, like
1: is work? I guess work will probably buy one for you. Yes. Hopefully.
0: Me personally, no. Yeah. But I'm if t- my job t- 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 says, "Hey, we got to get on this fast and lickety split," then it's like, "Hey, well, if you're." F- if you're flipping the bill, I will do the debt work.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, I don't think um I'm gonna have one paid for, so I would have to buy it myself. And if it's really three grand, I don't know. They'd have Mm-mm. to really wow me with a demo. Well you and know, I'll just wait for like version two or something.
0: Here's what I'm model. here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping refurbished. No. Oh, no. Well that would be pretty funny. <laughs> but um I'm hoping that it it was the the rumors like like the it was like the rumors like the iPad was rumored to be like a thousand dollars, but then when it was revealed, to be five hundred dollars, like I I'm hoping to be something like that where like it's rumored to be three thousand, but maybe it's like two thousand.
2: Well, that would still, that would expensive, still be a lot of money, but not will but <laughs> be conditioned to think It's, it's more, more
1: affordable like, than it is. Yeah, it's more like a uh a tricked out MacBook Air level instead of a MacBook Pro level. I, <laughs> I mean, it's like like really high-end MacBook Air or like mid-tier
0: Pro. I, I mean, I guess I'm like like the two of you, I think we've had this discussion before about like what is the Practical use case of this type of device, right? Like, who is this really yeah. targeting? Well, and, uh, I don't know,
1: but you know, that, that we're gonna, we definitely I think, I'm looking at the calendar and when we're recording this, when it's coming out and stuff. The next episode of this, we're just gonna have to make it all about our WWDC predictions because oh, that's come true. Out,
0: yes. WWE. Like, the
1: next episode of this is supposed to come out right before WWDC, so a couple weeks before. So we'll be talking oh. more about it, but.
0: Yeah, that's true we can so we can let's, save let's it for save that. all
1: our juicy hot takes for that next episode
0: <laughs> well, we don't. Uh, but
1: you know if <laughs> if it comes out i will i hope some one of us has it at least so that i can
0: play with it yeah again like i'm i i personally am not that excited about the prospect but if somebody says hey do you know here here it is you know we bought it and i am not going to be opposed to testing out the you know the yeah. development environment for it so yeah
1: what we'll have to do is find a way for it to work with pickle jar. Cause we're still going to be working on it. By so.
0: I mean, what, yeah, well getting, <laughs> speaking of the, speaking of the, the side project that is our forever pain point side project. It's almost like our sophomore, you know how like musicians and artists have like that sophomore yeah, yeah. project that is like the one that like kills it's, them, bec- takes them forever. Yeah, because and, of, like, and then they, and
1: then they, but, but then they either, they either, die off or they are like rejuvenated. So it's going to be one or the other with us. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. it's going to we're going to be like going to the moon after this. Yes. No, I mean, the problem is, is just has been our lives are super busy, but I, I did work on some of it and I'm still not done with like the screen I was working on, but I did learn all about like lazy grids, which for some people may be a thing you've used a lot, but I've not been done, doing that yet, but I will have to use it for other projects and I had not done it before and I was really confused at first like what and then once i once i grokked it i was like oh i I define what the shape of it is with like the grid items thing and then i just and then it's a container and then i put the it was really confusing at first and then once i got it i was like oh that makes a lot of sense that's cool and it's so much easier than um it was when i was doing things in the collection views and oh yeah
0: no
2: data source delegate yeah yeah
1: yeah i was i was like what is that all i have to do and i just laid out a grid i was like what this is really cool uh, I did have to make Cultro's component much, much smaller, though it was like way too big to fit. It's fine, <laughs> but it it, it's, it was cool.
0: It's I mean, cool. The laser grid thing's cool. I i i have i i have to say like it's one of those interesting things about like when you come from UI kit background and then adjusting to the 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 amount of code that you don't have to write. As much or the setup code, right? Like you know, every time you look at something, you're like, okay. You start with a view controller, then you kind of like construct it in like very like linear sort of fashion, um and then you have a data source, and you have all these delegates that you might need to like set up depending on what you're trying to do, and like it's just like, okay, do I do any Q animation? No, no, probably not for this one, right? Versus like, in, it's almost like the inverse with SwiftUI. It's like, okay, like just how much obnoxiousness can we get away with? <laughs> <laughs> at least that's uh, how I yeah, it that. was like it was
1: like it. It, it was like one line to set up the grid mm-hmm. and then four lines or something with loop to loop through and put a view in. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. So it was it was very cool. Uh uh I liked it. Uh yes. and uh so that's where I was at with that. And like I feel like I wanna rip apart your component code and refactor.
0: Do, you should do like, it like looking um, at it
1: so i was i was trying to make these the little the little um little square uh what do you, you call them like to do's or something right uh they're yeah, like the, the you're talking things, about the ones that show with, like, like the check marks
0: yeah yeah
1: like the five different states or whatever that's in them yeah <laughs> and so I, I was i was doing that and i was like it will not resize it will not why why is this thing not fitting and i went into your code you had it hard coded like yeah. a certain so i just i had to shrink it yeah so, like stuff like that um mm-hmm. uh that's fine but what's nice is that uh, it's very easy to do that in SwiftUI. I just mm-hmm. went in and I saw that oh, you made this so such a big such a size. I took it like ten points smaller or whatever, and now it got to fit. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. It's I, I like the SwiftUI is very it's despite it, it our appearances it's a very productive kind of environment sometimes. Uh, so I and uh, and uh, I was doing this like late at night too. So I was tired, yet I was still able to do some programming when I was really tired, which means SwiftUI is a i I mean i I found it to be (laughs) great
0: great to do in like sort of like if you're just focused on like one little component piece here or there and like yes exactly when you're creating these ui components it's actually kind of fun to do in in isolation oh yeah yeah. once you try to get it to work together in a bigger frame or a bigger view like oh what did i just do (laughs)
1: um yes indeed in fact the whole idea of like structuring things is kind of the main topic today Mm -hmm. because I I, other projects I'm working on, I haven't done it to our project yet, but Mm -hmm. I've been uh, really interested in how to create modules and stuff in and organize your code in, uh, in Swift. And I watched this video by Daniel Steinberg uh, from 2022 in the Coca heads NL to iOS conference, I guess it was. Mm -hmm. And it was called previews and package oriented programming. And the name alone was awesome because it's like reminiscent of protocol oriented programming. which is a famous talk mm-hmm. uh, done at WWDC. so I, I watched this and uh it was it was very cool uh it's uh i think this is where this is, might be where I, I also saw that that he likes to put his views between a struct and an extension, so he has all the oh, that's an state objects idea. and stuff in yeah. the struct and then the extension for and I started doing that a little bit a bit to and I kind of like it because it makes it easy to see where the state is and where the view struct is. But that's like a minor thing he does mm-hmm. in it, style wise. The main thing is all about using uh, SPM mm-hmm. to package up all kinds of views. Like he goes super extreme, little like little tiny, like packages for just small amounts of views. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he does this because it's he claims it's very easy to do. So I started down this path, and I have some thoughts about this. Okay, as I. Uh, yeah, because I I come from uh, Objective C land, and I come from like uh, you know C sharp and stuff, and things that where the way you modularize stuff is a little bit different. You have something called namespaces for one thing, which I don't understand the hostility to namespaces in Swift. But like, if by default in your app everything is just can see everything else, which is not great when you start building a large app, and you might have collisions and names. Where you bring in like a package or something, and and then you have to deal with that that name issue. And uh, what's what's nice if you put things into a package, or I think it's technically into a framework that's in a package, but then you could have to you have to explicitly import it. So you get the benefit of having to declare your dependency at the top of the file, which is something I actually like to do and am used to doing in other languages. Uh, And then the other thing is the the package man doing SPM itself means you have the explicit uh, declaration of other dependencies like other packages. So if you follow Daniel Steinberg's uh, method, you end up with this kind of chain of dependencies that's kept organized in your package manifest files. Which is also how I often have done things in other languages like C Sharp with NuGet packages, where I have like you know maybe there's like a base package has a lot of common things and then there's like another thing that uses that and another thing uses that hat or something like that and it keeps it all organized so you just have you just hit like you know one button and it just builds your project downloads all the stuff from it so um so I like it I've done been doing a little bit at the day job and other projects I've had a little bit of I found a little bit of gotchas in it uh so far and I don't know if it's just me I was making the packages in uh Xcode with like file new Right. And then it wasn't adding like the framework to the project. Like I had to keep going and manually do that. I don't know if that's just like a a common thing. But
2: uh that was a little bit of a wrinkle. Like at first it wouldn't compile. And Yeah, you know, I have like issues with Swift packages that I've been working on and it just doesn't seem like it real if like there's some error then and then you fix it, then it doesn't seem like it clears it
0: oh, as yes. well.
2: Yeah. As like regular Swift code, that's not in a package. It seems like it just sticks there until you like force reset the, the issues.
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, I uh, sometimes I guess I had to like restart Xcode. That's usually yeah. the way you. Yeah. You go back. So, there's things. like
2: a thing that a command like clear issues.
1: That's oh yeah, the clear issues works. thing. I use that a lot.
2: Yeah. yeah. Clear issues.
0: Uh, you know the
1: problem is Xcode's buggy. Yeah. Have mm-hmm. you never seen that button? It's like the new fix this button.
0: Is it the new, it new clean, clean and build? <laughs> <laughs> wait clear issues no it
1: just literally clears them it like it like clears them and then they only come back if it if it finds it again i don't know what it's actually doing like clearing a cache oh i see it okay yeah of warnings and errors i don't know it's weird that it even has to exist (laughs) no like if you're
2: developing swift packages then you'll need to use it all the time because it seems like yeah so that's
1: so i mean that's kind of one of the downsides uh Hmm. But I, how do you? What do you? My explanation about the the why you would do this does that make sense? Yep. You know? mm. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I, I mean, I like it. I like this so far.
2: Yeah. Um. I don't know. I didn't get to watch the video, but um, are you doing like packages with multiple targets, or like multiple packages? I am doing multiple packages because you can you can define if they're like all your packages. You can like have multiple modules in the same package.
1: Yeah, and uh daniels steinberg mentions that that's what a lot of people do he was doing this specifically because he wanted them to be into like small in scope and so they might end up being like put elsewhere like uh, they're yeah, all the you one put them elsewhere
2: if you want eventually same yeah well you yeah, retract so. your views so. yeah so i'm taking the approach
1: of like i have like a foundation package mm-hmm. that's more like a ui foundation package so i might rename it or something but it it has i'm trying to i w- the original reason i started doing this is cuz i have a i'm trying to build up a a kind of design language to use maybe not even maybe in other apps in the future but definitely in the one i'm building now not not pickle jar different app. i mean i mean is it is it, <laughs> so is, like,
0: it is it just like and, i guess the is it like a design system in the sense of like you're trying to well, like, like this is how the like, font should be this type of font with this yes. system with this and like
1: we have, what is a like things are in cards what is a card mm-hmm. and it defines like the drop shot. I think there's some custom fonts that i have to use mm-hmm. you know so i wanted to, and i did this i had to go through a lot of hoops to get figure out how to use how to use fonts export from the thing yeah 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 i was like well i had to i had to borrow um some uh public domain source code for that one put it in my readme <laughs> So i was like oh, i did not figure this out exactly myself uh but yeah there's a there were some hoops to jump through for it to for that to work but it worked And it's really cool that it works and uh, I like it because it's all packed together. So I imagine my future self using it in other apps. But in the process of building this, the main reason is just so that like I can import it onto like a view and then have access to the base elements that I need. That was the main reason and some helper functions and stuff. Like there's a helper function in there uh, for previews that loads up the fonts. It's like a, you know, and that way the custom fonts will work in a preview. And so like that, that kind of stuff's in there. So you just pull it in and there you go. And you're ready to go. And I can, and I'm, I'm not going to keep it real. I'm not going to make it real big. It's going to be a base stuff, but that's where I'm kind of putting my design language stuff in there. And right now it's just one um, framework, but I was, I was thinking of having maybe two or something in there. I'm kind of a little bit looser with it than, uh, than the talk was where it was, everything was like one framework per package.
0: Like how much of what you would do is like how, like for a generic app that may have some backend, right? Um, and maybe this is probably too generalized in that sense. But like, what would you? How would you break up those areas of concern? So you have like maybe like a UI component package, uh, a network like some kind of like backend network package, or would you do something like that, or would you?
2: Yeah.
1: So I'm. I've been thinking about this. I'm trying to build. The networking stuff mm-hmm. and you want to start concretely before you move to protocols and design like the generic thing mm-hmm. so but i think eventually i would end up with some kind of generic client to do be able to you know retrieve stuff and then parse things and whatever mm-hmm. but i was thinking of and then that would be a kind of a dependency on the like maybe the feature level packages so if i have a screen that's a specific type of screen that's going to be grabbing stuff from a specific API, maybe I package all that up and the scope is that feature, you know, maybe it's, and and it, it could, and then that means I could um, have, you know, either if I need to use, if I do need to do something like DTOs, I can package them up in there and then vend out like the actual models you'd want to use. Like I can do stuff like that because there's a, a boundary in there and you never have to know about, you know, what I'm using to actually do like the codable, you know, translations or something like that. And I haven't tried that yet. And I'm gonna basically take it on a case by case basis. But I kind of like the idea of maybe a feature level as the scope for it. Like, the, but then of course, what is a feature? I mean, right. I was about to ask In my that case, question. <laughs> thinking,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and I think to me, it's it's like if there's specific API models involved, like I kind of want to scope it around that. So it's like if I had a news. You know, like feeds or something like that would be its own module and framework because they're all kind of similar and they all use the same like models and stuff internally. Uh, Maybe if I had something that was, um, you know, to grab your to-do list from a server, you know, like that would be maybe another module, uh, or at least at least one, and they would be and they would be dependent on the more generic networking layer module, which is uh, you know, which would have like. Types for, you know, a request and a client and how that's defined and how you tell, you know, build a client with like a, maybe a base URL or something. You know, that kind of typical stuff would be in there. Uh, and then you build up your, your you know, your classes and your structs, you know, like you would any other language. You import the things you need and you, and you, you know, build them up. Uh, but I like the idea of keeping stuff clean. I've been really thinking about how to do networking lately because uh, I have a need for this. To, to to try to tame the beast of APIs that change over time. And the traditional approach in a lot of languages is doing uh, DTOs, you know, data transfer objects. And I, f- I, was, I feel like in Swift, that's still a, technically a thing, but I feel like it's not really the thing a lot of people do. Maybe you can, you can tell me about this, tell me this, but a lot of people seem to just use Codable and they just kind of, do crazy stuff in there to translate between different kinds of changes. Sure. Is that like, is that what I'm seeing? I mean, if you have to do like
0: different encodes versus decode, um, you can break them out, but yeah, that's generally what you would do. I mean, you you could also abstract it a little bit, but, um, if you want to get, yeah, I
1: mean, I'm used to doing something like, uh, I'm used to doing something like here's a DTO object, simple, simple object. I can C sharp, which would be a simple class. doesn't have any, any logic in it really. Mm -hmm. No logic in it. And it just it matches the JSON. And then you would then have some function on your model class that would be, so you would instantiate the model class with the, the DTO or, or factory or something that would take in the DTO and spit out your actual model, and the model would have a different shape. Mm-hmm. It would be whatever you wanted to use that was convenient for you in your application. And then you just have to maintain that function primarily that does that translation. Mm-hmm. And that works well with server stuff that I've done in the past. But then when I went, I started thinking about implementing that in Swift and I don't know I started feeling I started feeling wrong and I was like is that what I should be doing or is there some like more advanced things and Codable that I should be using and which is going to be more of a pain in the butt <laughs> you know because I had the experience of being on both sides of it and being like I need to change this API mm-hmm. like how do we change this so we don't break the clients and how do the how do I adapt the client to this change and it it can get messy and uh, especially in the scenario on the client side where you have one version of the model that is cached, then your app updates. And then it reads the, from the API, it gets a new version of the model, but, or, but it has to read the old version out of cache at least once. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had the scenario where the app just crashed because I didn't take that into account. Mm-hmm. It was a long time ago. sure. Uh, but when I first started doing this, I was like, it crashed because the old model didn't work and there was an incompatible difference. Right. In like, and so the caching layer like got confused and everything, uh, everything got broken. So it's like those kinds of scenarios come up on the
0: client side, I mean, you might have to create was some kind of about. migration, um, right? Script or code or something where you can you could go, okay, well, this is ver- and, and set some kind of versioning of like the the model that right. you well you could, you can have cash cached locally, yeah, and so then you can kind of go, okay, so... then convert it to this version and then move on. Granted, that's assuming like you're you have the forethought to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and and um core data that's how you kind of yeah yeah, It either does an automatic one or you can give it the you can put the code in the right place but you in a package i thought maybe what you could do is you could have versions of you could have multiple versions of like dtos or multiple versions of of your objects in the package so that whatever i vend out to the main app stays clean whatever i want it to be so i i want i want to be able to control sometimes and maybe not necessarily all the um, the uh, APIs because uh, it, it's it's more work to do something like a DTO thing or do something that's more advanced. Maybe sometimes you just want to take the JSON and just use it as your model. And that's, that it, that's fine for a lot of things. I'm not like um, religious about it, but there are times where I know for a fact that like I've had problems with this API in the fort, mm. it changes a lot. Mm-hmm. And People have different things they want it They want to add on it, and what happens is that it just ends up with all these like ridiculous JSON properties on so, it because we have to be backwards compatible so, and stuff.
0: So you can and, uh, do, yeah. So I mean, it, it, this is a really dumbed down explanation, and obviously doesn't take an account. That's, that's how we roll. <laughs> but you can set up like if this is if it does exist, so sort to of speak, uh, this this you know whatever property you know in in this JSON does exist, you know bring it in if not meaning encodable yeah as a code as an encodable yeah or deco- I'm sorry decodable no
1: i mean you you do it as part of you do it as part of the decodable protocol implementation yeah
0: you can say if this um is there i forgot the, the exact phrasing but you can say if it's there sure and then, and then you can specify like how you it gets translated um from you know whatever the json uh but if it's not then you could just ignore it um now that's not to say like you would want it to do that way, but you could do it that way. Um, yeah, that's what I, that's what I
1: was I was looking at the approaches. So, what have you guys done for for this? I know this is only tangentially related to packages, I guess, mm-hmm. at the moment. Yeah. But um, when you have to deal with this kind of thing, where uh, what is your approach? You just you just have your you take your JSON and put it into a mo- a model that it uses decodable or codable, which is both encodable and decodable. Mm-hmm. Do uh, you just put into that and then you just use at the time you're doing the the json to model processing through codable is that where you just you handle your logic for changes between versions to handle the, the two different versions or something so, or do you have different models entirely that you
0: yeah it's kind of funny um it's not necessarily like this is when i was using when i had to do one way where i had to sort of bring down so when i was working on dividend calc i used a lot of um decod just decodable because there was only like a subset of stuff that I wanted, but the um the IEX Cloud JSON that came down, which is the service I use to bring down um the the quotes and the and the the stock data, um sometimes there have um they the the JSON per usual is very flaky. So sometimes there'd be like no values in that space uh that you had to account for um and and because it was like you know the, these people were pretty much the hardcore like you know uh break things and you know move fast and break things type um you know you can never be sure totally like it's your problem yeah yeah it's, you can never be entirely sure if it was gonna be there when it was gonna come down or when you would expect it to come down um so there was a lot of like okay, like decodable was great for just and then specifying like if it's there, great, bring it in if not um. Um, uh, just ignore it but then when i encode it and the reason why i would encode it would be to save it as a cache i'd be a little i can be a mm-hmm. little more like strict about like okay like this is the style and i want to enforce these things um my own way or i want to save a date in a certain format then i would save it okay i would i would encode it differently um and right. It would be you know it would be the same but different in terms of like I would be able to enforce certain requirements when I save the the when I would encode it to save it as a local cache and then when i when it comes back it it decodes the same way but it wouldn't necessarily it would be a little cle- i wouldn't it would be a little cleaner for me
1: right so like uh you would update your app when I with a change mm-hmm. and then the old cache version would still work yeah.
0: Yeah, because it didn't change that much. To be fair, it didn't change that much. The the and so I never really had to worry about that. But if I had to worry about that, I I would look for like a version in the JSON. Now, if they don't have, if I don't remember them not having it, but it it wouldn't surprise me if like so had that issue.
1: (laughs) So we're talking about like like when you're talking about APIs, Mm -hmm. you have like the API contract. If you're talking about like a REST API, yeah, yeah. like API contract, which is like the Mm endpoints. And then there's also the data structure. And technically they're different and they can be versioned differently. A lot mm-hmm. of times APIs will just version in the URL, which kind of conflates the two, but it's simpler and very common to do. And and uh and that's not I don't have anything against doing that. It's just uh you can end up having um, you know, if you change things a lot on different endpoints, it can be weird. But the the having a version in the JSON is, is potentially a good idea. But if you're like me and you have to deal with APIs have never had that concept. They don't have some common structure at all,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and some and like sometimes you might have to change like the name of a property. So what happened with me and had APIs that would change like every year the, the format of the data structure would change because the features we're implementing would change because they. And so what would happen is I ended up having at one point like a list of properties that were like really old from like the early version of the system, and then like a wrapper property with like new versions that had like the same information in it you know and so it gets really confusing if you don't and yeah. y- you have to basically rely on documenting that that and when you're when you go back to it in your code and that's what I'm trying to avoid that kind of scenario which is oh. granted not all the time oh. but i and normal the normal way i might do that is with like a like a dto object where i would just have like one one dto version another dto version and i have a method that converts them so if i update the app i you know i would i would you know Maybe try to convert it into one, and then the
0: other. I'd do something like that if I had no versioning. How are you? How uh, are you at all? And then I would use whatever worked. How are you caching the data? Are you saving it like core data style? Or are you saving it as like JSON files? Um, um it, that's a good without, question. Without getting I mean, too deep. Traditionally, I yeah,
1: yeah. I'm not. I mean, I was planning on, I, I was planning on probably having it cache at the object like after it's been instantiated because mm-hmm. that's what I've done before. But there is something to be said. It may be caching things um, at the network level because you can just utilize your um, own cache. This is like getting into weeds about caching mm-hmm. behaviors. But normally what I've done is serialized the object to disk or like in Objective-C, like the class. Mm-hmm. And so in that case you would use like a, um encodable, mm-hmm. right? right? And then you'd encode it to um, whatever format they use on, their, on the disk. Yeah. Uh, but probably not JSON. I don't know if it's like a PLIST file. I don't know what it is.
0: Uh, I mean... Anyway, I don't know, but you you would basically, I mean, it would be serialized, and then you could save it that way. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. So, you're, basically, I've been I've been saving the object, so then you um, bypass the need to encode again and mm-hmm. like decode the JSON again, I guess. Right. So it's right. like a different level level of the stack. It's the highest level, I guess. It's, and then you just grab it directly.
0: Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you know because. The, at least with dividend calc because it was such a like um the only reason why i cached in the first place was to be able to provide something when the when the user opened up the app and maybe that the network wasn't fast it, there was never really a problem with network thing but like just put something there because like it they already knew what there was before and this provides context of like what it was when they last left the app boom here's the updated data you kind of see it updated in real time um but I think if the problem was like if you updated the app, right, and you're pointing to new API, I'd almost be inclined to just wipe out the cache and be like, okay, download again. Like if I knew, if there was a way to like identify, like, like okay, like I don't care, like if I don't care about my cache, basically, and that's in this in this scenario, I probably would have done something like that, where I'd be like I don't care about my cache if I know like this is a new brand brand new app, wipe out my thing, start fresh.
1: I guess what I'm, I guess one one approach to the take is to package that stuff, all, all this logic up, yeah. so that it's hidden from view, and you can have a little. You can unit test one of the things we didn't talk about yet about doing things in SPMs mm-hmm. is the ease at which every every SPM package gets its own unit test. So mm-hmm. you have something complicated like an API, you you and you're scoping around that API interaction. Now you can write a bunch of tests for it, and so when you update it, you can then have those tests run and you can reliably test your translation mechanism, whatever it is, whatever you're doing, your, your encodable stuff, your DTO stuff, whatever. You can have all that in the package, and then the, whatever you vend out is, is clean, and you, you, you can have a way of reliably running unit tests against, uh, against this stuff as it changes, which is I also found really nice um, uh, because you can use uh, test plans. I don't know if you guys ever use test plans in Xcode because mm-hmm. that was like not a new thing, but it was new to me when I started looking into it a while back. Hmm. Um, but it's like this, this way you can you can tell it like I want to run these sets of tests from and from all these packages and and it's really cool and apparently you can use it on the CI side. I think that's how Xcode Cloud works. I think they use it, but it's uh it's neat. So you can run uh all your unit tests independently inside the little inside the packages. It runs fast and then when you've done it this way with all the packages, right? The it should be archive. It should be um caching the um. Uh, the build of this stuff so that if nothing's changed between builds mm-hmm. uh it should just use the cache and should build faster and i have not done enough to notice it yet but we'll we'll see if that works so, okay i think that would be another cool advantage of it uh something that uh, i think daniel daniel steinberg mentioned right as well right
0: i think that in many ways i almost feel like because um like if you're doing it locally, like when you're doing you're creating and and uh using your package locally within your project um you don't necessarily need the tests as much, but certainly if your the intention is to make it um its own isolated say remote package or the intention is long term you do want it to be like a shared um package test weight make a lot of sense in fact, I almost think it's almost like fundamental to like maybe it's <laughs> how you maintain this thing. Um,
1: exactly, but I, I think even if you're just doing everything local, I built a big app sure. with like hundreds of hundreds of files that was built over many years. You end up with just a ton of files, and now and this is like this is worse than even what it is now because my original project file was the old school way where nothing was in folders. It was just organizing groups and X codes. You've at it in like GitLab or something. It's just just like one directory of files is horrifying. But you know the. Uh, And, but but you still end up with like this organizational issue and all this stuff is, is in here. And in Swift, it's all in like the same namespace. And like, that is the thing that you're, that I think is the primary benefit if you're going to build something big uh, besides these other ancillary benefits. And if you wanted to do something like test stuff, and I had this problem too when I was building like a big app without any kind of mechanism like this, it's like, okay, you write tests, but then you have to like make sure that the the tests are running against the right things. And there's no, like you can do it and you just, and it's not like impossible or super difficult, but it's all um it's all a little messier. Yeah. And making big structural changes, organizational changes, which you often want to do over time, uh, like maybe they bring in new concepts into the, you know, the ecosystem. You want to adopt them. And sometimes that means that like just for ease of maintenance, ease of development, you're gonna restructure how your code is organized. You're gonna refactor names and stuff like that. And it's a lot easier if that's scoped down and if you have clean contracts between the like the features and your main app it's using them like model names and stuff like that where you you know that this is where that's defined mm-hmm. and i can so easily locate it i think like would, you know that's the benefit that i think you don't notice to have a huge app so would you consider
0: with. putting your models in one package or would you like how would you is that a yeah you could do that yeah and then that, and yep. then have a dependency on the model uh, of, say, like a network, um, a network uh, packet, um, package for lack of a better word, um, that re- that has a dependency on those models. So you sort of add this sort of um, relationship, if you will.
1: Yeah, if you're doing like a like a like an onion type system or hexagonal <laughs> system, you know, like your model yeah, layer is in yeah. the middle. And, you know, you want you want your dependencies to point in one direction mm-hmm. so that you, you don't have, like, circular dependencies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, oh, and that also
0: helps with that because that, you can... That I noticed in one of my between, other projects, actually. A circular dependency, which I wasn't fond of. Yeah. Um, because it was, no, like... you don't want circular dependencies generally. Yeah, and it was just, like, one dependent... Like, it was kind of a bizarre... Like, it was following the same methodology of, like, feature-specific packages, but then I think because of the way it worked they started getting like oh well i need this one feature from this package um and vice versa and so it just became this like they they i i wonder if it it scares me a little bit in that context of like i don't want it to be something like where i can't like they're so interdependent that you can't separate the two right
1: well yeah and i think this is why in daniel's talk the focus was on making these very small mm-hmm. Packages because there's a lot less dependency, you know, surface area, and so if if you can have a common place, but like the common stuff is truly common, like everything would you know need this, and it doesn't depend on anything else. So one of the things is this doesn't save you from good architecture design. Like if you have a common class of some kind, then like you have to make sure that doesn't depend on other things that could cause that circular dependency. You can't be you you can't use it to build something, then have that thing. Like then, then like have the base, you know, depend on that uh, that thing that was built with it. So, uh, but by making them small, it's a lot harder to have that kind of scenario. You can you you can you know, I th- I think anyway, it's at least easier to deal with it if it happens because it's a smaller amount of code you have to deal with and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, in general, making things sm- small, small functions, small views, small packages is usually easier to manage and i think the 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 idea of doing like one framework or only a few frameworks per package it just gives you more flexibility for spinning them out if you want to mm-hmm. but there's no reason why you can't just put all the frameworks in one package mm-hmm. if you really if you want to i don't know if there's much of a downside to it i don't know about the cache how the caching works with that versus multiple ones but it's so easy to make a swift package module that i mean you get the benefit of being able to explicitly declare all the you know an easy way all the dependencies for it mm-hmm. And like the targets for it and um and resources that's something that I use to get do fonts in there, and you can have like resources that are bundled up, so I really like that now, otherwise you're just sitting in folders in your project, and it's only organized that way, and it's not it's not really uh the compiler cannot in any way enforce that coupling, like especially something like you have images, maybe you have an asset catalog that's for a particular feature. Mm. Like maybe you're, you know, you're maybe you're building an app for your, your kids, you know, baseball team and you need to have a, uh, you know, assets for all the kids so, pictures or something. You put them all in the one module right. instead of all in a directory.
0: It's a right. terrible
1: example, but it's off the top of my head. So don't get mad. Cause
0: I have a silly question in that regard, right? Like if I have, uh, okay. I, I as a silly person have a question in regard to resources. Uh, particularly, like let's say color asset, right? Let's say I have a, a red color asset in one of my packages, right? Um, do I have to import? So, and then I call it in my project, right? Do I have to imp, do I have to declare an import of the package just to get access to that red asset?
2: Depends on whether you're like accessing it, like directly from the assets right so like let's say if i have, an, have a, a color co- asset called um it.
0: brand red right or i don't know yeah um theme red or something like that right versus theme blue uh in another asset in another package um but then i say okay image um color so when i open up the project and i go color quote theme blue i'd still have to I'd just have to like do the import. There's no like obvious way that 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 name exists unless I import that package right is that associated with that color in the asset folder?
2: yeah, well, it's like if you tell your package to like process the resource, they all get like bundled into the same asset catalog your like main asset catalog or you could kind of separate it in your in your module and just have like a property that accesses that from the, from the modules bundle. And then never like directly reference the the asset catalog. Oh,
0: right. I got you. You can, you can, you can specify. Oh, right.
2: I haven't
1: used colors in this, but you, so you're saying that I can have something like colors in an asset catalog in, in a SPM framework in there and then have it just be available. Because it gets put, gets processed into like a global namespace, or
2: yeah, if if you say that in your package to process resources,
1: nice. That's that's like um, I guess like how Core Data does models, because you can have multiple models and they all get like kind of combined together when you when you um, set, start it up. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that, so that's useful. Or as you said, I had I did it with fonts. I had an explicit method call that I set up to like load them.
2: Right. Yeah, I think it's you know? probably better. Well, well, that's fonts because you have to load yeah, fonts. Yeah, fonts are weird though. Yeah. Uh,
1: and I, I didn't try colors so, or something. It might, it might make sense. That colors, if they have unique names, like it doesn't really matter. Yeah,
2: well, you, if you, but, yeah, you have to worry about, if you're trying to like package them all into one asset catalog, then you can worry about names colliding. So it's probably better to keep them separate.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of them being separate. I mean, I want to have to import the dependency. I'm with Daniel Steinberg on this one that I want to see explicitly what dependencies this piece of code, this file depends on what, what packages I don't want it to just be, I don't want to have to like read the code in order to figure out what its dependencies are. This is a thing that, that it's very common in other languages where you have to be super explicit about it. And it can seem really annoying, especially if you're in in a language like C sharp, whatever you have like a gazillion of these things at the top, Mm -hmm. but you should not optimize for, for writing code. Like you should not optimize. You can type less. That's usually, in my opinion, a bad optimization. I've heard other people say this too. Uh, but what you want is to optimize for reading the code later. That's for future Steve, future Coltaro, future Aaron. Like what, you know, like when you read this five years from now and you're like, what in the holy hell is this object? Oh, it comes from this package. Here it is. Here's all the packages that this thing relies on. I can, it's got to be in one of these. And and yeah, you can use IDE um, features for this too. But it's uh, it's th- it's nice to just glance at it and at least know the general dependency.
0: Uh, I think the um, the Apple uh, sample code, the food truck, has a good, reasonable. Um, they do a package like I, I think it's a local package, in the food truck sample code that does a reasonable job of like demonstrating how this could work, uh, in practice. Um. So I thought, oh, okay, like that's not that's. Interesting, and the other like cross benefit of the package idea is that they're a little more extension friendly, I think. All right, and for specifically around widgets or that kind of stuff, so to be able to share that component and, and all those that the uh, the assets and the and the the art and that kind of stuff with the extensions and the widgets, particularly, like that's actually quite nice. Um, when I remembered. is that a, that's a framework?
1: It's not doesn't it need to be in a package or does it?
0: Um,
1: because I don't I don't think it need I don't think I mean what what I'm talking about is putting things in SPMs, but it doesn't like the SPM is just containing the frameworks that it uses. It's not like the actual dependency is the framework, right? It's inside, yeah, yeah, the yeah, just yeah like wrapping yeah. it up and and declaring you know metadata. Right. And stuff. So, um, so that's cool. But yeah, you could, but if you do it as SPMs, you just get the added benefit of mm-hmm. being able to have it somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, another thing you can get with this, though, um, that you encounter in Enterprise world a lot is you have these dependencies and they're wrapped up in these modules of some sort or another. Now you need to cache them. Okay? And, like, where where do you put them? Because you can't rely, upon, if it's a third-party one especially, you can't rely on it being on GitHub forever. Like, I have a whole bunch of dependencies and old apps that... Don't even exist anymore, as far as I can tell. At least that version. And oh. now I was using Pods and I made sure I downloaded all the Pods and they're actually in the repo, yeah. which was the way you used to have to do it way back in the day. But um, in other languages like C Sharp, and I think we do this, and in, in, in Java, I've used um, uh, what product is called um, uh, ne- Nexus, I think it's called. Use the product which is like allows you to create it this inter this um, proxy that kind of just automatically caches any packages from one of these, from these package systems that you use. Or you can build your own and push it into it. So I've done that a lot. So I made like these NuGet packages. There was one time where we had this big, like years ago, I had this big monolithic app with a bunch of features and stuff in it. And I broke it up into packages like we're talking about here in Swift. You know, we had packages that did like, like networking and authentication and stuff. And they had different dependencies between each other. And I, I broke it up. I packaged them up. You know, this code was already pretty well organized. I packaged it up and I uploaded it to this cache server essentially. So then every project that depended on it, we could define their dependency in uh, like in this case, with a NuGet file, and we could delete the specific explicit references. This is a kind of a C sharp thing, where in you had to like have like the DLLs there, and you had to basically say, you know, this is, use this DLL or whatever. It can cause a lot of problems. It can cause problems. But doing it this way meant we had this little text file, and it said these are the dependencies. These are specific versions of it, and it would go out to our own server, and download them. And if some of them depended on publicly accessible, you know, appropriate code, like from Microsoft or something, some package, then it would also cache that. And then in the future, if any of that stuff went away uh, in its source, we would still have it. And we'd have different versions of it because every time we would do a new version, we would update it in the, on the server. So uh, I don't know what... I think you could do that with um, Swift stuff, but I haven't I haven't looked at it. You could, I guess. Yet you should it, be able to. It yourself depends on,
0: like like, I think about it as, like, a very yeah. smart thing to do if you have if you ever do any public or private but like particularly public type of um packages um probably especially if you're doing if you if there's a strong dependency on it you probably just just fork it <laughs> and just keep it up there so
1: you're talking like in github in github
0: well i i mean what just as mean? in terms of like if or git or git uh, uh i should say like any publicly available git like i've had projects that i've worked on contracts yeah that later on like i like the contract is done and i moved on and i come back they're like hey can you fix this problem because we we you know we're we want a new build out and you know i want to make sure they're okay so i do my best but then i realize, yeah. oh this thing doesn't exist any the original author got rid of it for whatever reason so i had to like you yeah. know thankfully find a forked version of it somewhere else but it was like oh geez that was like like that reminded me, like oh, I should just make my own version, like for that version, and then keep that around just in case yeah. I ever need it again. So
1: for for SPMs, what do you do uh, if it's a public one on GitHub? You're just making a fork of it. What if it's something that you are only going to use internally, if I, or if I'm just, you need to cache it company way, company appropriately way? Do you have like is there a, can it are, are there like a uh, a server that everybody uses for this or a method? Because I don't even is there even like an index for. For Swift, there's like a, that unofficial. There, is that like an unofficial official? There thing? There is unofficial or,
0: official one called Swift Package Index, yeah. which is actually pretty yeah, nice. Like Who? Um, it's dumb. It's still community. Yes, based. yes. It's not like an official official. It's, it's, but it's not what I would call like a I cache uh, version of it. Like if
1: no, like, no, it's not yeah. a cache. I'm saying like that's the index. Yes. And so the way the, the, these things work is they they, usually grab, they have to grab an mm-hmm. index of all the stuff. Is how I've seen it work with like NuGet, yeah. and then. Um, it uses that to figure out where the original sources were but but i'm i'm saying like uh w- what do people do now what do you do to, to make sure uh, besides forking mm-hmm. it if you can't do that because you can't put it in like your github like i can't i don't have github mm-hmm. at work for instance so if i want to have something that you made that is a, that i'm allowed to use or, you know whatever right. right and i want to use it like what's the best the most efficient way of caching that so that i never lose it when if you know you delete it for for Swift stuff. I mean, CocoaPods, I downloaded them into my repo, mm-hmm. but that seems, like, messy, and you had a bunch of stuff in your Git repository that's literally dependencies. Yes. It feels wrong, and so, like, what do you do? you have any suggestions?
0: Um, I guess the... It's tough because, like, you could just <laughs> literally download the repo and or fork it or whatever and just make sure that you have your own copy of it somewhere. Um, so that's probably the easiest yeah. thing to do because everything is
1: based on Git, right. um, Git addresses. I
0: mean, it's kind of funny to say this, but, like, unless it's, like, a big company um, SPM mm-hmm. or, you know, package that I know has, like, large, wide, widespread support, I very rarely mm-hmm. like to, like, import or, or use a, a publicly available SPM, even though I think we have, like, two on our current mm-hmm. <laughs> side project. Um, but I have. Oh yeah, I saw that.
1: I was. I did not investigate them, so I don't yeah. know. <laughs> half of me goes. Half of me goes. Last night, I was like, mm. half of
0: me goes. Probably should fork that and keep it around for myself.
1: Yeah. Um. So what's 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 funny, man? I've been in the, the situation where, like, there was first party package that disappeared. Like the version, at least, was no longer readily available, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Yeah. And it was like good thing we had it cached because like the next version was that i could find was an incompatible version with other parts of the code oh, so geez, I hate it's that. like <laughs> i think it's important if you are yeah look if you're if you're getting dependencies that you don't own in your own repo yeah. you have to have some plan for caching them so the easiest thing for swift stuff seems to be you just if it's github you fork it mm-hmm. or you download the whole repo and you put it somewhere mm-hmm. but what i like about some kind of system that's like I want to put it somewhere where I can then. I guess I could just put it on a, a in any Git address, sure. right? Is that what I'm, okay. I'm remembering? Yeah. So if I just I just put it on my own server somewhere, that's probably the easiest thing to do. And then point it to there. And if it's GitHub, if it's GitHub, you, you can use that means you can have it. Um, you can update from the yeah from uh, you could, you could, the source the
0: original you, source. You could like if but, anything changes yeah. in the original, um, like if they updated yeah, and right. fixed a few things, you can you can pass that over mm-hmm. to yours. But, Yeah. Now
1: what I'm telling you, what I'm telling you that something I think is Nexus, what some of these other systems can let you do is you can say, like, here's my repository of stuff that I'm gonna go to my local cache, but it's a like a proxy. So you could search for stuff and then it just automatically saves it in there. But you can get stuff from I mean like it's a proxy to the main index. So you can get stuff from there, but every time you get any of these public things, it's transparently cached. And if you want, to, if a new version comes up, you can take the new version, and the and the old version and the new version are automatically like I like things that are transparent because I work in enterprise world, and there's so many moving parts, and and code lasts forever, and you you really need like more bulletproof. Automatic ways of dealing with some of the stuff, and this is so. This is probably way outside the uh, scope of most people that would be listening to this. But oh, you'd be surprised. Um, but I was, I was just wondering <laughs> about this today. Yeah, I mean, because because I, I was wondering, like, I get what is it? What is I? I was looking for something. I think at the at the Coca Heads or on Cyber Project mm-hmm. Saturday. Saturday. Uh, I think Zorn was was giving me a suggestion. I was I was looking at. I know GitHub had some option for potentially for some kind of package thing that maybe would work. I don't know, and I didn't really look into the 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 um, the Open source stuff that exists now for other package uh, systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I so I don't know how how well any of it works, but I think it all. I, if I remember, remember correctly, I think all this stuff tends to rely on an index. That's why I was asking if there's a uh, there's like an actual public index of all SPMs.
0: It's not like what, if you go to like CocoaPods. Org, they have you can do a search and you can find you know a pretty much a good chunk of them. I think you can kind of do that with the Swift package, but that's community driven. That's not even like uh, particularly well i wouldn't say well run but like you would like it's not as if it's a very well known or or well utilized um website uh but is um does Xcode search it I don't, by default Xcode has a search right but it's not
1: yeah i know where is it looking
0: it doesn't it's not it's not it's not it's not it, it has its own like set of SPMs like the Swift algorithm one is like the 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 obvious. Yeah, one. that's like um, and, and, and like you can yeah. search for your prior ones that you've done, you've imported or you've utilized, but it doesn't search for like all the public available ones. At least as far as I know, you still have to like give it the your like the Git URL, if you wanted to download a specific package that you know. But you have to know where the URL is.
1: <laughs> there's there's uh, uh, starting this discussion. I thought. Well, we talk about maybe the why and the how, and look, it, we we've we've covered a lot of stuff related to dependency management and and all around the just starting to talk about packages. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty impressive. Like I, I when I when SPMS became available, and I know people are like, well, we already have CocoaPod or something, but I thought it was a big deal mm-hmm. because when you have like a first party support for a package system like this, then you you start getting all of this other ancillary tooling. And and I've seen it before. And like when Microsoft finally did NuGet, right? It changed the game there because before that, dealing with um, dependency management was a giant pain. Mm -hmm. And and once that was available and they, they embraced it at a first party level, then all the tooling got it. And that makes your life a lot easier. And so we have SPMs now, so I want to, um, and there's nothing against Cocoa and I know a lot of people still use them, and they and it has its place. But if at all possible, I want to just use the, um, the, the first-party tooling. Uh, and so with that comes all of the dependency management uh, headaches that you have to think about when you're building a large app. Maybe not for your home app, maybe not for your side project, but uh, eventually these things will hit you. When you're when you're like in a in the job in like a jobby job somewhere. I mean, I I have to Is say, that, isn't that the term for the day job? <laughs> jobby job. job.
0: <laughs> That's what we call it, right? Right. <laughs> um, I have to say, like, I don't. Ever since migrating to SwiftUI, I do a very good job of avoiding, a lot of pa- um, packages in general. Um, I still use them, but for sure, yeah. Uh, but I haven't except for your own, right? You, yeah, you're like. It, it, partially because a lot of what we do is mostly in the prototyping kind of sphere. So like we're not trying to yeah. uh and like you, it's for big corporations, so you have to be a little more judicious about like what you what open source packages you are introducing to your project So I think those are the primary reasons. But, in, but even for my own projects, like I'm I'm more hesitant to bring in third parties than I used to be. Um which kind of speaks to the the fun nature of or the flexible nature of SwiftUI yeah. to be able to do that without uh, without like you really have to think pretty deeply about like do I really need this or can I just do it myself? Um,
1: yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably a good place to uh, end the discussion today. Mm-hmm. I went over a lot of topics, and uh, so basically, I, I like I like this talk. I'll put the link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. You should definitely check it out. Yep. It at least made me think about dependency management and and how i was going to do it and and the different approaches and it maybe really look into the details about how spm works and and uh and uh and also has some good stuff in there about previews and like appropriate use of previews which is, yes. is we didn't even touch
0: on which is useful yes very useful uh,
1: but i think uh i think it might be i think it might be time cool
0: well for the wrap yes what do you think i agree unless aaron you have something to say
1: <laughs> yeah final thoughts final thoughts
0: mm-hmm.
1: so, Aaron spoke more words this week than oh, he has
0: in, months. in three podcasts.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's nice. We like Aaron speaking. All
0: right. Well, that's all we have for today. Uh, you can learn more about Philly Coco at PhillyCoco.org. There you'll find links to our Slack meetup schedule and contact info. And if you're feeling generous, please leave a review on iTunes or any podcast um, platform of choice. And one more thing. I'm lazy today. So I asked ChatGPT to give me three swift jokes. And you're gonna realize how bad ChatGPT still is at doing programmer jokes. So here we go.
1: Maybe you're just bad at
0: prompting. Yeah, prompting and yeah. <laughs> You are a phenomenal comedian and at programming jokes. I should have started with that. <laughs> All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, now, now you got me. Now you got me at a bind here. All right, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna say, ChatGPT, you are a awesome comedian. Tell me jokes about around. Tell me three jokes around Swift, around Swift. There. Now, now we're gonna see how funny it is. Okay. So first one is. Why do Swift developers prefer writing code in the dark? Um, because why? Because they can't stand the light mode. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, next wow. one. <laughs> why did the bad. Swift developer start a garden? Um, wh- why? You want to get closer to nature? To practice optional seeding and optional harvesting. What do you have a want? Wom- like... wom- <laughs> sound <bit. laughs> I don't have a wawa. I wish I had a wawa. I just have this one. Well, wow, that's terrible. That is really bad.
1: That's, I need right. to add a wawa. Uh, uh, so I hope works. this
0: last one is better. <laughs> I, I, it looks horrible. Yeah, want to use the a laughing one? Um, Make us laugh, wh- ChatGPT. Why, why did it, 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 I'm laughing because it's so bad? Why did the Swift developer go to the bank? Um, why? To withdraw some optional cash. It just did the same joke. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Uh, Oh, well. Wow. ChatGBT
1: will not be taking over comedian jobs just yet.
0: Yes. So (laughs) till next time, good luck on your own developer journey. We will cheer for you always. And cut.